In the weeks leading up to the Alamo Bowl, everything surrounding the matchup between OU and Oregon led me over and over again to an easy Sooners victory. Lincoln Riley leaves unexpectedly. Enter Bob Stoops, Hall of Famer, program guy. And he stabilizes Oklahoma while Joe Castiglione searched for Oklahoma's next head coach. That guy ended up being Brent Venables. A celebration ensued around Sooner Nation. The fan base was rejuvenated. Oklahoma boosters started pouring in more and more money. Venables solidified the 2022 recruiting class, currently still ranked 10th nationally. And once that was all completed, Oklahoma found themselves preparing for a bowl game that was going to be coached by Bob Stoops. Not just any bowl game, a game against Oregon, a team that had effectively stolen a win from Stoops back in 2006. Okay, well, more precisely, the officials stole the game away from Bob Stoops. Oregon just happened to be the beneficiary. Meanwhile, the Ducks coach left for Miami. Some of their best players opted out on defense and offense, and by kickoff, Oregon's roster looked very different from the one that went into Columbus and knocked off Ohio State back in September. Everything was pointing towards the Sooners. The line moved from Oklahoma minus 4.5 to Oklahoma minus 7.5 at kickoff. It made all the sense in the world to back Oklahoma. But it just seemed way too easy. And that's sports, right? Even when it all makes sense, you still can't predict the future. Well, uh, this time everything pointed to Oklahoma, and Oklahoma took care of business in San Antonio, winning the game by multiple touchdowns. Do I wish, in hindsight, that I would have put my life savings on the Sooners minus four and a half back in mid-December? Yes. Yes, I do. But inevitably, the next time I feel as strongly about a bet, I'll pull the trigger and be completely and totally on the wrong side. So, Please, somebody, anybody, remind me of that before I give away my 401k. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. All right, here we are a couple of days after OU beat Oregon 47-32 to in the Alamo Bowl. I'm back from San Antonio, and we were planning to record this podcast Thursday evening. But I got to tell you, everyone, I was dead tired when I got back to Oklahoma City And not that any of you care, but I think I put in legitimately a 19-hour workday on game day on Wednesday, and I didn't get into bed until around 5 a.m. following that game. Uh, But that's enough of a woe-is-me story because I got a chance to to, work and cover football for most of the day. So, I mean, that's I can't complain about that. And again, you all don't care. You just care about Oklahoma, Oregon post-game talk, and that's what we are here to do. So let's do it. Joining me as always, a man who is deeply concerned about the future of Caleb Williams, and it's not just him. I'm sure lots of Sooner Nation is in that boat as well. And of course, yes, we will talk about that. Caleb Williams' first public media appearance coming after that Alamo Bowl win. We'll talk about that at some point. But for now, Grant Benson, what is going on? Not much. Just sitting here, uh, kind of finishing out the work day on a New Year's Eve, and I got ESPN on my TV. I'm ready to watch some playoff football, ready to watch Cincinnati shock the world. You're calling your shot, huh? I'm not calling the shot. The game, the game is going gonna, is, is gonna to be a very competitive, though. Um, Cincinnati has two potentially first-round NFL corners, um, and John Mechie's not playing. Alabama, arguably their best corner, is not playing. Um, it's Alabama has been 
has been sketchy like the entire season. Um, and I think people are kind of going too far in one direction after the SEC championship game uh, when this is the same Alabama team that I needed a miracle to beat Auburn, should have lost to LSU, uh, was in a dogfight with Arkansas the entire time, lost to Texas A&M. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is absolutely Nick, Scaby, or Nick, Nick Scaben, Scaben? Sc- Nick Scaben's? Nick Saban's sketchiest team he's had in a in a long time. Hey, that's and great. they still might win the national championship. Hey, that's great. I don't care about any of that. I saw the line move down to thirteen for a moment about an hour ago. I jumped on Bama minus the thirteen. Don't care about all your handicap. This is Alabama with tons of time to prepare against a Cincinnati team that uh, is not anywhere near as good as let's say like the OU team from a few years ago. And I get that that had Tua and it had a, it was a better Alabama team. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I'm gonna take my chances with Alabama. I'm not gonna fall for that, all this that all Alabama this team. That so this Cincinnati this Cincinnati team not that much worse than the 2018 OU team. The 2018 Bama team is way better than this version of Bama. Uh, uh, maybe maybe not though. Not gonna fall for it. Everyone thought Bama was gonna get beat by Georgia. They showed up. Their offense is gonna be too good. They're gonna whip Cincinnati in the trenches they're going to do whatever they want with them and Cincinnati's offense is probably not going to be able to do much at all because Desmond Ritter's not very good so I'm feeling pretty comfortable about my Bama minus 13 because again not falling for it not falling for the cheese man not gonna bite not gonna bite hope I'm Um, uh hope I'm wrong though because it would be awesome if Cincinnati beat Alabama I'm just saying Alabama's offensive line is not it's it's good relative to the rest of college football it's not good relative to Alabama standards. Bryce Young has been under constant pressure all season. Cincinnati's defensive front is good. It's it's better than Auburn's. It's better than other teams that have given Alabama problems. Um and Cincinnati has two really good corners, man, and that is a that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. That like you can get so creative in what you do there. You can you can have you can have those two you can have Gardner and you can have Kobe Bryant just man coverage on the outside if you want you can bracket whoever is in the slot so you're forcing Bryce Young maybe to go to his fourth option there's a lot that they can do with that um mm. Alabama's pretty one-dimensional on offense too I don't know uh, I mean you're gonna give Nick Saban time to prepare for a team that's not anywhere near as good as them we're gonna find out how good of a coach Luke Fickle is is Luke Fickle a really good coach with time to prepare I don't know I know Nick Saban is and those games that you mentioned earlier this year are just you know week to week basis, and that's the big thing that we always talk about is this still the same scenario. season, still the same season. Doesn't OU matter. going into that Rose matter. Bowl in 2017, Lee, they were playing a lot better on defense going into that game. I sat here for a month before that game and said it doesn't matter. Oklahoma's defense is still bad, and Georgia is still gonna is still gonna kind of do whatever they want against them. Like it's you, you get you got to take the full body of work into play here. The week before they beat Georgia. They needed a miracle to beat a really mediocre Auburn team. Yeah, I know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. It Auburn, absolutely Auburn had a week matters. To it's the same team. It's the same team. The key is the time to prepare. Nick Saban's teams are always super prepped for these semifinal games. Have they played a close semifinal game since Saban's been there? I don't think they yes, have. Yes, they lost to Ohio State in 2014. Okay, the very first year of it. Ohio State. With... Actually, uh, Luke I'm Fickle, just, hey, I man, believe, Luke, was a defensive coordinator. Luke Fickle's got, got quite a bit of experience game planning for Ohio State with a, big, with, with a huge layoff time in his time, and like when Trestle was there. 
He's right. got I, he's he's got plenty of experience with Ohio State talent though. That's the difference, and we're going to find out how good. I don't the coach know if Luke I don't know is. if Luke Fickle ever had two first round corners on his team at Ohio State. So you're thinking? I mean, two people are going to win this game. I mean, what's I mean, how how what about Alabama just lining up and running the ball up Cincinnati's throat? You know, like they're going to be. They haven't really been front. able to do that against anybody this year. Okay, well then Bryce and Young will I, probably like, figure it out. Cincinnati is absolutely the second best defense that they've played this season after Georgia. And Cincinnati's got better corners, and that's why Georgia lost that game. I mean, has Alabama's receivers seen torched their corners? Like, has Cincinnati's corners seen anything like they're going to see with Alabama's offense? No, they haven't. They haven't. No. So I mean, we're going to find but out. It, a lot I mean, about, it helps a lot it, about Cincinnati. It helps that John Mechie's not playing. I don't know who that is. I haven't watched. Is he, did he play in the SEC title game? Uh, he got hurt, I think, like in the second or the third quarter. Um, he's, I mean, he's their second leading receiver. I think he's got over a thousand yards this year. Oh, that's cool. Uh, don't care. Not gonna matter. He's a receiver. He's replaceable, especially. I'm just saying, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm coming at you in this one with, with more logic, a little more facts, and you're going fully off faith, which oh, I don't think well, is. It's not is faith. Terrible. It's just I'm going off history. I'm, I'm not falling for it. I'm not falling for this, this ridiculousness about how. Cincinnati's going to be able to keep it close. Alabama goes into these semifinal games, and they take care of business. So you think Nick Saban's going to take any sort of chances to be a team that gets upset by the first group of five team in the playoff? No way, man. So one of us is going to be right. One of us is going to be wrong. And uh, when this podcast comes out, maybe somebody will listen to it while the game is going on because we're kind of timing it out that way. And uh, I've already put my money where my mouth is. A cool 25 bucks, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm a big spending better. $25 on I mean, geez, man, you seem, you, seem really, you seem really confident. I don't know why, you, you, why you're not throwing like a, two, like a cool two grand down or something. Well, because if I'm wrong, I don't want to be out point two grand. So you're not I that just, confident, huh? Did you read my opening take? Yeah, I read it. Yeah, there you go. I'm trying to just I'm trying to be consistent, man. Somebody remind me. And that somebody in this case was me. Reminded myself. Don't get too confident because it's sports. <laughs> okay. I uh, didn't expect that uh, here at the top, but whatever. We're having fun. Uh, so OU beats Oregon. It was a it was a surreal game. So I was trying my best, Grant, down the field at the Alamo Dome. I'm working, obviously, but at the same time. I, I was thinking this is really cool because this is probably Bob Stoops' last game as a coach. It came out of nowhere. Nobody expected this, including him. And just kind of being on the sidelines, getting video of Bob and, and watching him interact with the players and go through all the pregame, you know, the pregame routine that you know. And afterwards, he kind of hinted at it. Like he finally kind of came out of his shell. And I don't have the exact quote, but he was talking about how, you know, that. That energy came back and the pregame, the feeling. And he talked to Dean Blevins before the game and kind of that pregame nervousness that just kind of ne that you know, never goes away as, as your coach kind of came back. And just all of that feeling was there. And that had to have been just the coolest thing for him. Because can you imagine something that you've done for a lot of years? And for Bob Stoops, it was what, 16, 17 years at Oklahoma? I can't remember the exact number. And he'd obviously been a coach. Not a head coach, but a, just a coach in football for many, many years before that. And you retire, and you think it's all over. And, yeah, he did the XFL thing for five minutes. That's not the same. He comes back, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gets an opportunity to do the thing 
that got him into the College Football Hall of Fame one last time out of nowhere, that had to have been the, the coolest thing ever for him. And just because you think something is over and, and dead and gone, and then you get it back for not just one night, but the weeks leading up to the game. And so just being there, I try to take it all in. And you know, I don't know Bob Soups personally, but we all know about Bob Soups. We're all, he's connected to us. We've been following Oklahoma football forever. And so I'd like to think that it wasn't just Bob Stoops. It was all of us that kind of got a chance to soak in that moment and kind of feel what it would be like being in his shoes that one last time to coach a game. And you know, his team came out. They were ready. They were prepared. And they took care of business for him. After halftime, uh, okay, well, there's there a lot of problems after halftime. But the offense, for the most part, took care of business and made sure that he got out of there with a W, got that Gatorade bath, uh, what a tequila bath, which would have been funny. Obviously, it was never going to happen. But I just want to say that it was cool being there. I was thinking about the other day, Grant. I was at Lincoln Riley's last game at Oklahoma, and then a month later I was at Bob Stoops' last game at Oklahoma randomly. That's kind of cool. I don't have the ticket stubs or the media credentials for it because I don't care about that kind of stuff. But uh, maybe in the future I'll be kicking myself for not holding on to that memorabilia, not that it would really matter to anybody but me. But uh, your thoughts on the fact that Bob Stoops, you watched it on TV. What was it like watching OU and Stoops coaching on the sidelines? And so, I mean, I think that's going to be the enduring memory from this game. That's, you know, 10 years from now, if we're, if we're thinking about, you know, back on this season, on this game, it's going to be all about just Bob Stoops coaching. That's, that's what made this game special. That, that's what it was. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, watching it on TV, it was, it was really nice to see him back on the sidelines. I, um, it was kind of similar to, you know, right after, uh, right after Riley left and, you know, how they had Bob at the press conference and he was talking about how, uh, you know, talking about how it's the players that make it and no one person is bigger. You know, that at that time, right, that felt good. It felt good to see him up there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there was just there was a part of me uh, that felt really nostalgic seeing him on the sideline. It was great. I mean, there were times where you could tell that he was just because obviously on the TV broadcast, tons of close ups of him, like they were going and showing him all the time, every single time, which probably makes it. So, I mean, that's why it was kind of a good thing to watch this on TV, because you don't necessarily get that in person. And um, you could tell that he was he was kind of soaking it in. There were times where it kind of looked like he was getting a little misty eyed, um, <laughs> which, of course, kind of set me off, too. And it was just it was fun. And I think it was great. It was great that they came out and were just I, can we both agree that was by far the most prepared they have looked for a game this season? See, and it I may not even be that. Close. that and I, I don't I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment because I want to say yes um, but, you know, offensively, they came out and were a bit uneven at the start. I think defensively, they were kind of a bit uneven until the Broyles interception. So, like, if – let's say, like, once they kind of got past the first – was, like, the fourth play of the game, wasn't it? The, the interception? The Broyles interception was, like, the fourth play of the game. Right. Okay, so what I was going to get at is, like, maybe after the first handful of snaps on each side of the football, when they kind of settled in, then, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they dominated. The first half of football, Let me and say, they definitely yeah. were... They were... Good. Yeah. I, I don't think it's controversial to say that this was clearly the most prepared they had, they had looked on offense going into a game. Even on that first sort of weird drive where they went three and out, where it did look like they just weren't... The timing was just a little off a little bit. At least it looked like they had a plan. 
They came in and they clearly had a plan. They knew what they were trying to run there. Uh, just it, would, it just was slightly off on the first drive. And then, you know, they go and they score on eight consecutive drives and they're getting decent chunks of yardage every single play. It looked, it looked exactly like we expect Oklahoma offense to look like. Overwhelming and explosive. I'm trying to look back. So OU averaged 8.1 yards per play, which is fantastic. And looking at their entire season as far as yards per play, there were some games this year, believe it or not, where they actually averaged more than, than that. I'm um, looking back at it. Boy, against, against Texas Tech, they almost averaged 10 yards per play in that game. So that was, And that was the game where Caleb Williams threw the ball everywhere, and they couldn't run it, uh, but they passed it all over Texas Tech. And then that's against still T- the best. That, that's still the best game they've played this year at home against Texas Tech. Yeah, fifty-two twenty-one. Especially we find out Texas Tech ended up being a pretty pretty decent team this year. I mean, not a bad team at all. Texas Tech has some. Um, Texas Tech like and, geez, I cannot believe I'm about to say this. They have some nice pieces on defense. <laughs> so uh, nine point eight yards per play against Tech. They had nine point one yards per play against TCU. And uh, they had 8.2 yards per play against Texas, 8.1 against Oregon. So uh, they, they did have some better offensive statistic, statistical offensive games than the one uh, than the Alabama Bowl game. But as far as uh, you know, yards per play, still one of the best games. Running the football over 300 yards rushing, only the second time this year Oklahoma went over 300 yards rushing. The other time, can you guess it? Texas. Texas, yeah. So they had more yards rushing against Texas, 339 in that game. And uh, they had 318 rushing against Texas. Uh, but, man, I, it, Kale Gundy calling the plays. Kale Gundy calling Lincoln Riley's offense. And good for him. First time he's ever called plays, and the offense was great. Uh, you said it looked like they, were, they had more of a plan. I was field side, so it's more difficult for me to kind of get really a feel for what they look like. Uh, at least the offensive line, for example, maybe the the route concepts here and there. And I have not gone back. I have not rewatched the game. You texted me, I think, at halftime or somewhere saying that to you, it looked like the offensive line was mauling and playing really well. Uh, can you expand on that? What did you see from the offensive line? Uh, I mean, it's just like the size of the holes that they were opening up was crazy. And then we saw something from someone like Marquise Hayes. We haven't I feel like we haven't seen since the 2019 season. He was putting dudes on their back down the field. And I was just like, I can't remember seeing that from him this season, like at all. Um, just stuff like that. Um, and then um, Kennedy Brooks just had a ton of space to operate. Um, and you could tell. So like you, you go back to, I, I, you know, of course, like there was the um, that Texas Tech game where they averaged over 10 yards per play and they threw it around the yard and they looked great. I thought this was the first game, right, though, on offense where it felt like they could do whatever they wanted, throwing or passing, and they were going to get their yards and they were going to score. You, did you kind of feel this? I feel like that's the first time that's kind of happened this season. Whereas I feel like, you know, in 2018 with Kyler Murray, right, that's what it was every single week. It's just like, eh, if OU feels like throwing for 500 in this game, they probably can. If they want to run for 400, they probably can too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seemed like they could do whatever they wanted. Now, statistically... As far as balance goes, they had 318 on the ground, 242 through the air. There were a couple other games this year statistically where they were pretty darn balanced. 
the Texas game, one of them. They were over 300 in both passing and rushing. And the, the TCU game, they were, they were pretty balanced. They were 295 passing, 230 rushing. Uh, but, you know, that Texas Tech game you mentioned, they were not balanced. I mean, it was all through the air. I mean, they couldn't really run the ball at all against uh, Texas Tech. I mean, 469 through the air against Texas Tech. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, but, yes. An I easy mean, 469, too. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the, the TCU-Texas games were also somewhat ba- pretty balanced. But, yeah, I mean, with with Kale Gundy calling the plays, uh, that that offense looked really good. And, I mean, it's an Oregon defense that – I know they're they're down some guys, but it's an Oregon defense that was supposed to be pretty solid all year long. And with the most part, I mean, take away their two games against Utah. I'm going to guess it's a team that was pretty solid. Uh, But you know more about Oregon than me. I mean, but at the same time, didn't you say last podcast they were kind of a sketchy team? And them and OU were pretty similar (laughs) as far as yeah. Oregon Oregon was sketchy all year. They they beat Ohio State week two, and then (laughs) OU and Oregon were basically the same team the rest of the season. (laughs) <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde having to kind of fly by the seat of their pants, winning close games. Um, I most of Oregon's talent is on the defensive side of their ball, and they still had some good players playing in this game. Their linebackers are good. Uh, Verone McKinley, the safety, is a good player. Um, I think this Oregon defense that was presented in this game was better than the Florida defense last year in the Cotton Bowl that they rolled out for sure. Gotcha. You mentioned Kennedy Brooks, got most outstanding offensive player, uh, had three touchdowns, averaged over 10 yards per carry. He's going to the NFL, not not surprisingly. I'm curious to see what his NFL career looks like. Uh, going to the NFL, and, his pro- and everyone is probably going to be shocked when he's effective and good. Because, yeah, I mean, the whole thing was, I know we've heard OU guys talk about it. I think Lincoln, Lincoln Riley specifically they talked about watching Brooks high school tape and they were like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know this translates. But then you look at his stats and he had all these carries and all these yards in Texas high school football. And then you're going to look at his numbers in college and he's got a bunch of yards and actually not as many carries because his, his overall career average is going to be pretty darn high. I guess I could look it up. So yeah. Is it going to translate to the Over NFL? seven yards a carry? I'm pretty sure for his career. <laughs> uh, so yeah, his, uh, his career, NFL career track will be interesting. I mean, where is he going to get and drafted? And he's a guy, too, that once he once he gets ahead of steam going, he does bounce off of arm tackles. Like, he is he is pretty powerful in his lower body. I kind of feel like when he struggles to break tackles, it's usually just around the line of scrimmage. But if he's in the open field and he's and he's going downhill, guys bounce off of him. I, I, I you know, I'm not expecting him to be a great NFL player or anything, but what it? I don't think it's going to shock any OU fan if he hangs around for a while and is effective, and makes it no. to a second contract. No, not at all. Not at all. So yeah, you're right. Seven yards per carry for his career. Very, very good. Let's see. How about talking to offensive guys? You mentioned Brooks. How about Marvin Mims getting involved? Had the long touchdown catch off of a hard play action. Man, I got a great shot of that. That was one of my favorite plays of the game. Because uh, I saw it the whole way, got a great shot, and he was wide open behind the defense. That's what, Good to see that happening. That is what I thought this offense would be basically all year. That, I mean, that's what I thought that we would see consistently pretty much all season. The kind of like the the long ride play action um, because they're able to run the ball, and then Mims just getting behind the defense, and then for long bombs. And of course, we thought it was going to be Spencer Rattler on the other end of those. Um, 
And so, I mean, that, that's just another thing. OU's offense in that game looked like we thought it would all throughout 2021. That's what we thought it would look like. Yeah. Yeah, so Mims with the big touchdown catch. Drake Stoops had the one catch for a touchdown, which then led to a cool moment. Unfortunately, on the sidelines, I couldn't, I couldn't see. Like, when that happened, I thought, I got to see if I can, I can get a shot of Bob and Drake whenever he meets him at the sideline. Couldn't see it, but I did see the TV copy where they, uh, Bob went up to him and like basically like attack hugged him. <laughs> so you know anybody out there who uh, has a uh, dad, <laughs> which is probably all of you, or a mom, considering we're all human beings and we all uh, came from somewhere. Granted, I understand that people, yeah, you know, or has a son. That was probably pretty cool to see. I know that was neat uh, to see two guys down there, uh, father son, and then inevitably came out later that night the pictures of like Bob Stoops and wife Carol like holding Isaac and Drake like as little kids whenever Stoops got the job and now they're adults playing college football so stuff like that again even though we don't personally know the Stoops they're all part of our lives and it's just kind of like wow the nostalgia factor is really hitting hard here people this is really weird in a good way what did you think about that man when I saw that picture after the game, that got me in the feels, man. That made me go like, oh, holy crap. Like, that is, uh, um, right, because it, th- it makes me think. I'm, I'm 31 years old. I, I, I don't feel like I'm 31. I still feel like I'm in my early 20s uh, just because time has gone so fast. But I look at that, and I'm just like, holy crap, man. I've been, <laughs> this has been a big part of my life for a long time. And it's just it's 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 striking seeing that stuff, and uh, it's cool, and it, it's also it's made really cool too by the fact that Drake Stoops man is a really good college football player, and it's 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 nice to see him make plays for OU. It's 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 absurdly cool. I I hope um you know wh- whatever happens in twenty twenty two, whoever comes back, whatever, man, I I hope I hope Drake Stoops is a big part of the offense next season. I I think we all agree that he's good enough to be. Um, he's just he's just a real solid player, man. And he feels like he's the type of guy, especially in the pass game. You know, OU has had a lot of different pass catchers, a lot of different pass throwers come through here. They've had a lot of different looking passing offenses. OU's never had a guy like Drake though, and it's hmm. uh, it's it's fun to see. They've never had kind of like that diminutive slot receiver who, when you just look at him, is just like, yeah, he, sh- he really shouldn't be that good. But he just gets his yards. He gets his, you know, he, he gets open. And I'm, I'm happy they have someone like that. And it's made even cooler that it's Drake Stoops, that it's Bob's son. I, l- I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, good on him. I mean, he bet on himself. He wanted to go to Oklahoma. He didn't get a scholarship. He did eventually. I know, like, I think it might have been before this year or something like that, they gave him a scholarship. But he, again, he bet on himself. He wanted to play at OU. He knew he could. He thought, hey, I, I can win a job. I can play. And he has. And you can't. I mean, maybe at the start, there, there could be a little bit of preferential treatment given his name. But it's sports, man. You're, you got to perform or else you're not going to get on the field. And he absolutely has performed. When he's got on the field, he's performed and he has earned his spot. So that's always a cool, like, underdog type story in sports. Even though you've made the comment on this podcast many a times that. Why was he not getting any offers from any like big FBS schools? Why? Because you, you watched his high school tape. I saw him in high school a little bit because when I first got to Oklahoma, uh, he was kind of a tail end of his Norman North career. And I saw him play a few times. And whenever I went to some of their games, 
all of my highlights, it seemed like, was Drake Stoops catching passes. I mean, he, he was like their main guy. He was the best player on their Utterly team. Utterly dominant. Utterly yeah. dominant in high school. So he was there, and you know, for me, I'm like watching this, like, ah, you know, what does this mean? He's dominant, but I don't know much about Oklahoma high school football. Can this translate? He's not getting really highly recruited. Well, here he goes. He's now. This was what year three for him at OU. It sounds like, I've, not sounds like, it feels like year three for him. Uh, maybe even four. I don't even remember, man. All the years are going. As together. an aside to that, um, just kind of on that train of like, how how on earth was this guy not offered by more? Um, there's a Oklahoma player along kind of along the same lines that I was doing a lot of research on last night, actually, that kind of fits in that same Drake soups mold, uh, Gavin Freeman over at heritage hall needs to, he needs to, he needs to be at OU. I think he's, he, he uh, he's committed to Texas tech. He needs to be at OU. They need to, they need to figure that out before February. I think he's pretty highly touted though. Isn't he a, a like a four-star recruit? Two star uh, per rivals. Oh, really? He's a three star in the uh, ranked in the thousands on two four seven. Because yeah, I've heard a lot about him here in Oklahoma City and about how he's this really great player. And I've seen him. I haven't seen Heritage Hall as much this year as I normally do, but I've heard a lot of good things about him. I didn't know that he was. I, I thought he was like a three or a four star guy. Uh, by the way, this is year four for Drake Stoops. Wow, this is year four for him. <laughs> Time has just flown by. At Oklahoma. So that's the Stoops discussion, at least for Drake Stoops. I want to talk more about offensive players. Uh, Mario Williams had a touchdown taken off the board because his helmet got ripped off. That was a bizarre slash kind of cool moment. Uh, you know, when that happened, I was talking to some of the guys on the sideline that I was shooting the game with. When that happened and, like, the officials were all getting together and talking about it when the flag came out, I mean, I, I knew it was a flag. I, I knew you can't advance the ball when the helmet comes off but in my head I was thinking like I wonder if there's some sort of other rule though where the officials can make a judgment call whereas if it's going to be a touchdown or something or like it's not going to affect the play can they let it stand and of course no that doesn't exist I was saying like because he got ripped off and then he was in the open field and there was nobody there and so it doesn't matter if his helmet was gone Uh, maybe that should be a rule where hey if your helmet gets ripped off but I don't know, like the officials can make a judgment call where you wouldn't going to be touched, then you can let the play stand. But sucks for uh, for Mario Williams that he basically got a touchdown, take it off the board because the guy ripped his helmet off. Uh, here's here's my take on that, and it's the definitive take. So um, everyone listen. <laughs> um, I agree with you. It was cool. It was a cool play. It was a it was a pretty bad a moment from Mario Williams. It was it was really cool. Having that been said. I am not in favor of any sort of rule that will give officials more discretion ever. No, 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 no. Um, I think you're opening up a lot of... uh, You're opening up Pandora's box when you do that. Um, Second, I've never, ever seen that happen before. Ever. Not once in a football game. I don't think you should make rules based on something that's literally only happened once in the the history of, of me watching. Okay, no, it's just uh, my thing is uh, put your helmet on tighter, man. These guys these days, they like to have their helmets loose. I see so many helmets come off. It's like just go to the equipment guys, tell them to make sure your helmet's a little tighter, a little, little tighter. Because uh, I remember playing high school football, man, and like being afraid that my helmet was going to be too loose and it was not going to protect me or it could get it could fall off. I remember being afraid of that. So, like, you know, you don't want it 
too tight, obviously, to where you're just your blood's being you know, the blood circulation being cut off. But I got to think that a lot of these players, whether it's high school, college, NFL, a lot of these helmets got to be super loose on these guys, man. Or I'm totally off base here and there's just so much force in the game of football that even if their helmets are tight enough, they're still getting knocked off. I don't know. Who cares? That's stupid. I had one other guy. I wanted, oh, I, let, we talked Kennedy Brooks. How about Eric Gray? That was the most involved Eric Gray has been since early in the season, was it not? And I went back because I was curious. I got to pull this up again. But I, I want to say that's the most touches Eric Gray has gotten since like September, man. Uh, and and that's, that's the most catches Grant he's had all year. He had five catches. The most they've used him in the passing game all season long. And he's a player in the preseason podcast leading up to the season where a lot of people, based on his Tennessee, he was the leading receiver at Tennessee last year. We all kind of assumed that he would be a gigantic part of Oklahoma's passing game. And he was just kind of like a eh, part of the passing game. What did you think about the way they got Eric Gray involved with Kel Gundy calling the plays? Lincoln, Lincoln Riley did a really poor job this season getting the ball to the people who needed the ball in their hands. Like, he did a remarkably poor job of that this year. And, um, hey, I'm not, I'm not here to say, like, I, you know, Eric Gray is not amazing or anything, but it's almost like he's a lot better when he's given an opportunity to work in space. And I wonder, like, I just... What had to happen over the course of the season for that not to sink in to the guy who was calling the plays. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's plenty of evidence that Lincoln Riley is not the best at trying to get the football and like dialing up plays and, and, and drawing up plays to get the football to the hands of his playmakers. I mean, we've talked about this for a long time. It's his offense and it's a spread it out type of offense and it's going to work no matter the personnel. And the only kind of change to this really was, I think, 2019, where they, they, you know, they kind of forced the ball to CeeDee Lamb a lot, even though they probably could have forced it to him more in 2019 when Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. Eric Gray had five catches. The most catches he had in the game before that, all year, he had three against Kansas, and he had three against West Virginia, and that was it. And there was a whole bunch of just one catches here and there. And he had, he had no catches. He didn't do anything against Oklahoma State. He had one touch against Oklahoma State. He's a player that needs the ball in his hands. He averaged over 10 yards per carry against Oregon. He had eight carries for 82 yards against Oregon, and then he caught that one touchdown catch. Uh, and I'm happy to see Kale Gundy clearly think, let's get Eric Gray more involved here. And he did. And Eric Gray played really well. Uh, played really well and... I got to say, it's an indictment on Lincoln Riley. That guy needed to get the ball more than he did. <laughs> Period. I, I, yeah, going back, Lincoln Riley did a really bad job this year. I mean, he was, he was, he was very much not the guy we were accustomed to or thought he was headed into this season. Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was because his, his mind was somewhere else. But I just, it's, it is clear that dude did not put his guys in the best position to succeed this year. Abundantly clear. All right, I think there's two more players on the offensive side that we have obviously got to talk about. Uh, the, big, the big one is Caleb Williams. We haven't talked about his game at all. Uh, from the sidelines, 
to me, like early on in the game, I was kind of to me, he kind of looked a little up and down and uneven. And as the game went on, obviously, he played really well. Uh, I, I didn't come away thinking you know, from that game thinking like that was a wow Caleb Williams game. But was it on TV? Like his stats were great. He was merely he was merely very good. That was it. It wasn't wow. It was not his best performance of the year. There were definitely some some areas that you can see that he worked on in the last month. So kind of early in the first half, there were times where he would go th- you could you could see him with his head moving going through his progressions and then he would check down and then and then they would be able to pick up a first down that happened a couple of times. That was good like that was good to see. Um the uh the the TV broadcast was not good. You could really only see the the trenches. You couldn't see anything happening really in the back seven at all. Um and so to me, to my eyes, it looked like Oregon actually did come out in the first, like the first few series of that game, doing the shell defense, doing the the rush three drop eight, um, and then that went away when OU started to just absolutely pound them on the ground. And so, seeing him sort of react to that, and then being able to run the ball, and then once they sort of backed off on that, or once they kind of started getting close to the line of scrimmage, seeing him start to connect on stuff down the field, that was nice to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, it, there was, of course there was some stuff that he probably could have improved, but he was really good. He was really good. He was in control. And I think the, you know, the best thing that he, uh, that he communicated just kind of with his actions, uh, with his mannerisms on the field was that he was just extremely prepared to play the game and he cared like he was getting in guys faces. You could tell that he was putting a lot of emphasis on leading, making sure that the guys were in the right spots making sure they were doing the right thing. Um, and I, that was the biggest takeaway, is that just how engaged he was in the game and and just from his appearance, how much it looked like he cared to win the game. That was the biggest takeaway for me. And uh, you know, something I just thought of, you were talking about going through his progressions and he looked super prepared to play the game. He didn't, uh, he didn't seem to have multiple snaps in that game where he was back there and holding the ball forever while the offensive line gave him tons of time to throw and trying to find somebody like happened quite a bit it seemed like against Oklahoma State especially in the second half it happened all the time against Baylor in that game where they lost both games they lost there wasn't those plays where he was just back there holding the ball holding the ball and then getting sacked Uh, so is that better play calling is that better route concepts is that just more of him uh, reading his progressions and getting the ball out sooner I don't know I can't Speak to that, you know, without watching the maybe tape that closely. is maybe it's just more of an emphasis on all right, one, two, three, four. None of them are there. All right, check down. And maybe he, and he just actually having it. He maybe actually it having checkdowns, actually having guys to throw to, because <laughs> there would be times against Baylor and Oklahoma State. Man, I, I feel like I'd watch the all twenty-two and just kind of wonder where is his checkdown here, or if he has a checkdown, it's. It's a really difficult check down. Maybe it's like a, a different part of the field or something or, or cro- totally across the field. I don't know. Maybe if that factors in, could you, did you get any sense of that? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I would have no, to rewatch okay. it fully. I've only watched highlights rewatching it. So no, it's fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah. So the only other, the, the other guy I mentioned a second ago, there's two guys we haven't talked about offensively and they kind of go together. And the other guy is Jaleel Farouk, who out of nowhere comes and has his best game, true freshman. And I could be totally wrong on this. I'm going to Google it as we speak. I want to say I heard that Farouk and Caleb Williams are roommates. Have you heard that at all, Grant? 
Yeah, I've heard that. And I, they're they're from the same area. Like they're both from DC. From the same roommate. Okay, they're both from DC. Okay, okay. So uh, I, yeah, I'm I, not sure if I'm not sure if Farouk is technically from DC, but he's from one of the Virginia suburbs. That's a suburb of DC. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Well, I don't know if they're actually roommates. Uh, says uh, I'm looking at some old quotes. Says they they grew up together. They know each other. Oh yeah, yeah. It says they will be roommates at OU. So yeah. So those are two guys that are kind of connected, and they come out, and Farouk has his best game, and. Uh, the three catches he had, Grant, when he got going and running, I remember this is one of the guys. Did you have Farouk as maybe one of your like sleeper freshman offensive players in the preseason? Yeah, I really, I really liked him uh, when I was watching his tape. He was a guy who, uh, who really, <laughs> just really jumped out to me. Um, kind of funny when you actually feel like when you watch him play and like so on on on, on his longer uh, catch and run that he had. It was hard. He looked a lot like Charleston Rambo out there, but he just he he moved a little more smoothly though. Hmm. He looked a lot more. He he didn't. He doesn't seem as as big and skinny though as Rambo is. Like he looks a little bit more compact. Yeah, it, uh, it seems like it's. Yeah, you're right. It seems like Farouk's size or just his body is a, is a more evenly distributed. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. By the way, a quick aside here. How have you not come on this podcast at all this season, or at least in the last month or so, and talked about Charleston Rambo? Because I'm pretty sure he had a fantastic year at Miami. You're a big Rambo yeah, he guy. Had like the, pretty sure he broke the Miami record for catches in a season. So is that another situation of Lincoln Riley? Yes. Not getting the That's most. That's an indictment. Big but time. weirdly, it seemed like Riley was kind of going out of his way to get him the football. But the problem was he was they were trying to get him the ball in weird ways. In like 20, going, yeah, they were trying to get him the ball on swing passes yeah, and like behind the line side. of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to Miami and has a good season. So great for Charleston Rambo. Anyways, that was a quick aside I just thought of when you brought up Rambo. So Farouk looked um, good. I was going to say, I hope uh, this is my last. I, I hope Rambo gets drafted. I hope he, hope he goes to the NFL. Has a good career. No doubt. Okay, so... That's the offensive stuff. Uh, by the way, we do have some three-word reviews to go go over, so if we miss anything offensively, you, maybe you guys can help us out with three-word reviews. Let's turn it over to the defense now and talk about that side of the football. Obviously, Brian Odom calling the plays with um, Alex Grinch gone. And, man, for the first half, both Cale Gundy and, and Brian Odom seemed like they were dialing up everything 30-3 to at halftime. And then after halftime the floodgates open and the Oklahoma defense was atrocious. And, and again, I have not watched the tape back, but from the field level, I just could not believe how many explosive pass plays they were giving up. And you know, two of them stand out, two deep touchdown passes, one against each corner. DJ Graham looked like he was burned. Woody Washington looked like he was burned. Maybe there was some miscommunication. Maybe they thought they were supposed to have defensive help behind them. I don't know, but all that goes into the speed D bowl, though, because miscommunication, what's going on? Why are some of the best players on this defense in the secondary getting seemingly burned without me watching the tape back? How does, how does the defense look so good in the first half and only give up three points? And then I believe they gave up, yeah, they gave up 29 points after halftime. Uh, do you have any thoughts watching the TV broadcast? What was going on with the defense? I mean, I, I guess, I mean, we're totally skipping over the fact they look good in the first half. I, you know, See, I kind of push back. Can I don't you, think they looked that good in the first half. Can you draw any conclusions? I thought they were bad oh, pretty didn't. much the entire game. Um, 
I thought I, I thought a lot of the I thought a lot of their stops in the first half was Oregon self-inflicting themselves. Um, they they uh, they struggled stopping the run the entire game, and obviously they gave up a ton of explosive plays in the passing game in the second half. Man, I thought I thought the defense was was horrendous pretty much the entire game. I um, really the I. I I thought the only reason why Oregon didn't score more points is because honestly, there were times during that game where Anthony Brown looked like the only guy who didn't want to be there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean they averaged almost six yards per carry running the ball. Uh, I mean Anthony Brown, even though you just kind of took a little shot at him there, had one of his best games of the season, if not his best game. <laughs> he missed. He missed a lot of throws to guys who were open too. Oh, okay. You okay. know, I he was. I'm, I. I can see like that was. Because I, I, I've heard a lot of Oregon fans talk about Anthony Brown in the lead up to this game, and I, I feel like I, I saw it. I saw exactly what Oregon fans are talking about with him. See, I, yeah, I mean, every time I'd watched Oregon this season, not that it's a bunch, but he never impressed me much at all. Uh, he's just not a very good player. Uh, he can't really throw, and that's why it was so discouraging to see him all of a sudden hit all these explosive plays. And I was like, come on, guys. This guy is not a very good passer. He just isn't. And he threw for only the second time this season he's gone over 300 yards passing. Yeah, and he, um, you know, and a lot of those, a lot of those, those long touchdowns for, uh, for Oregon, they they looked weird. They looked in the sense that they that the D backs just were confused and they didn't know what the coverage was, or they were confused about help they did or didn't have. Um, like DJ Graham being burned multiple times like that, where it's I don't like. I don't think DJ Graham is that slow footed and that I, I just, I think they were confused and they didn't know what was going on. And um, yeah, man, I, I, I gotta tell you, I mean the, the, my main thought watching that game in terms of the defense was, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm actually very glad that there is that, that entire side of the ball was, uh, they cleaned house on that entire side of the ball. They, they need, they need totally new people in there. And this, um, and and I mean that that includes Tibbs and Kane at this point in time. That that's just the defense is broken, and like we can still acknowledge how much better Alex Grinch made it post Mike Stoops, but they they need some new blood on that side of the ball. I think everyone can agree with that, and I think the Alamo Bowl was kind of like was the last reminder of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's the way to, to look at it, and it, it makes it makes all of us who have been. Yes, I think I'm always appreciative that you bring up, hey, we can acknowledge that, yes, Alex Grinch came in and improved the defense. He did a good job. It was, it was worse before he got there. But at the same time, though, there was always parts about Alex Grinch's scheme as time went on that we picked on. And I picked on and I didn't like. And, and the, some of the biggest things is it's simple. It's really easy to see on film what they're trying to do. And there was never any adjustments, never any changes. And that makes it to where it's really easy for opposing offenses to know what the heck they're going to do. And I'm not an expert on Brent Venable's defense. I haven't watched Clemson super closely over the last 10 years. I don't know what he does. I just know what he does is definitely not described as simple. <laughs> I know that's the case. And can that be good? At, you know, can that be bad for college kids? Sometimes when they, maybe they get confused. But Brent Venables did a pretty good job of explaining it and teaching it to these Clemson players over the years. And it was really good. It's been really good defense. So Whatever he does has worked over time more so than Alex Grinch's scheme. And I'm with you, man. I am glad that that philosophy, that idea, that scheme 
is going to be gone. I'm tired of it. I, I don't like it. I, I don't like what I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they were able to get a lot of TFLs and sacks. I mean, not as many as we would have hoped they would have gotten. But I'm glad that's gone because that was not going to translate well to the SEC. And so I will happily take my chances with Brent Venables and his defensive mind compared to Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch absolutely succeeded in getting OU's defense to the level to where they would have won a national title with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. The only problem was he couldn't get it better than that, and OU's offense regressed in the three years that he was there. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. Very simply put and very well put. Uh, how about some individual players, though? We'll, we'll try to, to, to shout out. Pat Fields got the Defensive Player of the Game award. He led the team with nine tackles. Uh, had a half tackle for loss, so he had a, he had a nice game. Uh, I know he was flying around out there. I remember seeing him a lot through my camera lens. Uh, Marcus Stripling, we haven't talked much about him in, this year, and really when we have talked about him, it's kind of just been shoulder shruggy and kind of like, eh. Marcus Stripling, without Nick Benito there, comes in, gets two TFLs, gets a sack. How did Marcus Stripling look to you through the, the TV lens? Good. Yeah, and I, I texted you. He looked like first half of 2019 Marcus Stripling when he was a true freshman and he was getting out there every now and then. And, you know, he wasn't dominant or anything. There were times where he would get washed out, but he made plays and he had a really high motor. And that's what he looked like in this game. So there were times, right, where he was on the edge and he would get washed out or he'd be out of position on a lot of those split zone plays. But then also, I mean, there were, I mean, there were four or five plays where, I mean, he got guys down behind the line of scrimmage and if he didn't get him down he was right there forcing them inside or forcing them into other guys who did get him down and so yeah I would have if I if I was given a defensive MVP for OU it would have been stripling actually um, just because I thought he was the most active and he made the most plays uh, but yeah Pat Fields was was fine too it's just um, I just yeah I, I don't I didn't have a lot of positive takeaways from the defense I I, I thought they were pretty bad the entire game Fair enough. And honestly, I yeah, I don't have any other thoughts. I know. I mean, Justin Broyles got an interception. Also had a TFL. Okay. Broyles had a good game. Broyles good made some plays. Him. And that's like that's that's all you can ask for with someone like Broyles, I think. Okay, so that's yeah, I don't have much on the defense. I think at this point I did point, see um I saw Billy Bowman get a decent amount of snaps playing nickel, which oh, was nice okay. to see. Good. So they moved him back. They moved him back and he just Billy Bowman just looks the part, man. He looks good in his uniform, and he fills it out really nice. And is like he, he looks like he belongs out there on the field. I hope, uh, hope he makes a really big, really big jump. Yeah, and I mean, just off the top of my head, I want to say I saw. You know, I think Ethan Downs had one or two plays. Reggie Grimes, hey, yeah, you know, hey, David Redmond. I mean, Ethan Downs, I thought that... had the best game of anyone on the defensive line. So thank you for bringing that up. Who did? Uh, Downs did. Downs. Okay. Let's see what else we have here. I don't want to. Um, all right. So let's just we'll, we'll save three word reviews for the end and we'll kind of get back. But I think now is the time where we got to talk about Caleb Williams finally talked to the media. They brought him in after the game. And, you know, we were talking, I think, last episode or one of the most recent episodes that, hey, you know, I, I had heard that Caleb Williams has not made a decision about his future yet. That's what I had heard. I didn't know if anything had changed you know, during bowl week, maybe going home during their little break before the bowl game, maybe he would figure it out. Uh, it would seem like, no, uh, he he still has not made a decision. Uh, 
And this is something that you and I were texting about uh, the day after the game. Uh, this is really concerning to you. Uh, I'm not quite there as, as far as you are, but just I, I, don't, I did not cut the audio, but a lot of you have probably already heard it or read what he said, but I'll just go over what he said after the game. He was asked if he's coming back to OU, and there was two different kind of things he was asked about. So he was first asked if he was going to come back to Oklahoma, and so the way he addressed it is he said, listen, my focus this entire bowl prep was on this team and the bowl game and all these players that are not going to be back next season. He said, you know, I, I can be back next season, but there's a lot of these players that aren't going to be back this next, next year. So my focus was on this bowl game and playing, you know, the best for my team. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing from what he said, you know, playing this bowl game and taking it seriously and, and, and sending out these guys who next year will not be on the team with a win. And that's what happened, and that's, that was his focus. And now that the game is over, Caleb Williams said, uh, I'm going to go on vacation. <laughs> I haven't been on vacation for a long time. I'm going to go on my vacation with my family. After, you know, after all of this that's gone on the last month, month and a half, I'm going to go on vacation. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's it. And so he kind of declined to really address the question there. And then later in the press conference, he was asked, you know, what are your thoughts on Brent Venables, Jeff Lebby, and, and all of that? And then he talked about how, you know, he's talked to Jeff Lebby basically every single day since Lebby's been around. But, you know, I think Lebby's coaching in the uh, wherever – I can't remember what bowl game Ole Miss is playing in. Sugar Bowl, you, I believe. So, yeah, Lebby's coaching Ole Miss in that. So he's been back and forth. And so uh, – but they – you know, he's been talking. They said they've been talking a lot. He said that Brent Venables, they've been talking a lot. And that Venables is the, the right guy. Oklahoma made the right hire. And at the same time, though, the, the weirder, the, you know, the not, not eh, kind of weird, but he said, you know, hey, we're going to see how Oklahoma does and we're going to see how I do with my decision or what I decide. And so that's what Caleb Williams said after the game, which means that he does not know what he's doing yet. And you know, using uh, our brains and just kind of deducing from the fact that if he's gotten this far and still has not made a decision, and this is just me and my, my opinion, and I think you share this same opinion, Grant. That makes me think that if he doesn't know at this point, it's probably, uh, I don't know if likely is the right word, but I would think that it's trending more towards him going because what else do you need to know at this point about Oklahoma to, to make a decision? And if you don't know yet at this point, it makes me kind of think he might be looking for reasons to leave. And I think that's kind of where you are. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, but at this point, I'm, I'm not as confident about Caleb Williams returning to Oklahoma as I was a week ago. Where do you stand? I think on, I think on the last podcast that we did last week, um, I said that, hey, if there was a gun to my head right now, I would say he's coming back. Um, and I've, I have completely shifted on that. After um, kind of, uh, you know, after Wednesday night, just sort of what he said, how he's carried himself. Uh, you go and you listen into you know Gabe and Teddy's podcast from yesterday. They were saying that people they've talked to around the program, nobody's got any idea. They don't know. And um, I, I'm at the point now where it, it's looking likely that he's going to leave. Yeah. And um, I think I think there's a lot of directions that we can go there. And of course, at this point in time, that's just that's speculation, right? Because we don't know. Um. Having that been said, man, I and you've already, you know, you've kind of alluded to it too here with my feelings, but I, I'm the 
the way that he is going about this to me is very off-putting, extremely off-putting. Um, and I've, hey, I've, I've been thinking about this pretty deeply the last couple days and trying to trying to analyze why I feel this way and and why it just makes me feel so gross the way that he's handling it. And I've, I've, I've kind of settled on this. Caleb Williams is is acting like a professional, and he's treating this like he is a professional football player. He's treating this like he's on a one-year contract at Oklahoma, and that as a pro, he owed it to this team, right, to, to finish out his contract in the one year. Um, and this entire thing now afterwards with him sort of being wishy-washy, not committing one way or the other, it's exactly how a professional football player going through free agency would handle this thing. And um, I guess simply what I can say is college football is not professional football. And this is unprecedented. This has never really happened in the history of college football. What's happening right now with Caleb Williams. And to me, I, I don't like it because I like college football being college football. And it's possible that this is just the new normal and we need to get used to it. And I think everyone should adapt with change if that is the new normal. Uh, that doesn't mean I, I have to like it. If this is where college football is going, I do not like it. It sucks. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was with Dean Blevins in San Antonio all week for the game, and he made a comment similar to that, actually, after listening to Caleb Williams. He, he, he thought, man, it sound, he sounded like he was a pro up there, like, like, a, like an NFL player. That's really interesting that you had the same thoughts as well. Uh, so that's great. And I, I, th- I think, I think there's, I absolutely think there's angles where that, that behavior and that lifestyle from Caleb Williams is really commendable. I mean, I think he is, I mean, I, I think he's very clearly a really self-aware and calculated guy. Um, and I think that personality plays very, very well in professional sports. This ain't professional sports, man. It's not. And it's off-putting to me. At this point, and in that's time. fine. It, oh yeah, and, and that's fine. I, it's it's not it's not off putting to me. I, it just it doesn't. Sure, would I? It, I'm in the same spot as I was last week. Would I have liked him to make a decision by now? Yes. Uh, the fact that he is going that he played the game, and he still could leave. Yes, that that frustrates me. That bothers me because uh, there's enough information out there. There has been enough information out there for him to make a decision. I get it though. He. He did it for his teammates. He wanted to send his, his guys out with a win. He wanted to give them the best chance to win. That's the way he, he chose to approach it. I, it looks, I mean, his teammates understand that, and I still stand by that if he decides to leave, there's going to be a lot of really disappointed players in that locker room that are going to be coming back next season or that have the opportunity to come back next season. And I think if he just would have left and just ripped the Band-Aid off, that, I mean, it's, it's not good either way, but... I think relatively that would have been a little bit better. But at the same time, though, maybe they don't get that win and guys like Jeremiah Hall and, and Kennedy Brooks and you know, all the other players that are not going to be there next year and guys that aren't even going to the NFL or are going to try to go to the NFL draft, you know, maybe they end their OU career with a loss and that would suck. So I, it's kind of commendable that he did that and some of these players that really aren't going to be back gave him the best chance to win and they won. So I kind of get that as well. It's, it does not bother me as much as it bothers you. And we're just, we have a difference of opinion here. And a lot of it stems from, yes, he's a great player. Does Oklahoma, uh, is Oklahoma a better team with him next year and the year after that? Absolutely they are. 
I just kind of have this thought that, yeah, it's going to be okay. They're, they're going to find somebody. It's Oklahoma. They'll get a quarterback. Probably won't be as good as Caleb Williams, but it's going to be okay. If, if you're getting rid of a guy, not even getting rid of, if a guy like that is going to leave your program, then that's okay. You probably don't want him in your program anyways because he's not all in. He's not bought in, and more power to you. Go somewhere else. At this point, I don't know where he goes. That'll be fascinating. We, I mean, does he go to Georgia? We talked about Georgia last, last time. I mean, it, Michigan, uh, Georgia, or Maryland. It's going to be one of those three. But what if it's USC? What if it's just a Lincoln Riley play? I really, you know, really, I, I, you know, I guess I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, we know that he chose OU because of Lincoln Riley, because he felt, he felt that Lincoln Riley was going to give him the best chance of, of being a first round draft pick or the number one overall pick. Um, and so I, you know, if I had to guess, I'm assuming that is what he is going to be, what he's going to be analyzing here in his vacation or in his decision-making process. I think that's going to be his main focus. I don't yeah. know, man. I, I, you know, it's just, um, I don't even want to speculate about where he could go. I, I just, I'm the whole thing. is just like, I just not a, not a huge fan of it, you know? Cause like, I mean, I've, what well, I mean, there's been 230 episodes nearly this podcast where I've come on and I've said the parts of college football I value are the loyalty, the pageantry, the just sort of the history of it and just kind of how fun it is how fun it is to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, and that's just kind of not how Caleb Williams is operating right now. And like, let, let me be clear. Let me be very clear. I love the way this guy carries himself on the field. I love the way that he leads a huddle, leads a locker room. I love the way that he, car- <laughs> that he just generally carries himself. I want him at OU. I want him to be the quarterback at OU. Part of the reason why this is so tough for me personally is because, you know, maybe one of the narratives or maybe maybe this is a fiction that I tell myself is that, and it's one of the reasons why I love college football. And I've I've mentioned it a lot of times in this podcast. Those guys saw OU and they saw a lot of the same things that you saw when you went there. Or they fall in love with a lot of the same traditions and other things about the school that you fall in love with. And that's the connection that you have with the players on the team. That's a connection you don't have with the New England Patriots or the Indianapolis Colts or the Dallas Cowboys or whatever sort of you know, NFL team you want to root for. That's a unique part about college sports. And I think a lot of the time fans like to think that the players that they're rooting for are falling in love with the university or in love with the university just like they are. And Caleb Williams... And he can say anything that he wants, but make no mistake, what he is communicating right now with his actions are the opposite of that, that he hasn't been taken in by that stuff. And that's not a huge factor for him. And just as somebody who, that's one of the reasons why I love college football, it doesn't appear that that is going to factor, factor into his decision. And that's disappointing to me. That's really disappointing to me. Um, and then we can, I mean, we, we can go further than that too and say, um, just like for now, like, you, you know, you come out and you say, hey, OU is going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And I agree with you Hold in on. the long run. Before yeah, it's going to be fine. And in 2030, OU is still going to be OU. But 2022 is the next season. And that's the season that I, that I want. Time out. Can, can you hear me? 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, before you get to that part, I wanted to say something really quick. Because uh, you made that point on the podcast before about how, uh, like, those guys that choose OU, you feel like there's a, a connection because of the way, you know, the reason why you love OU. So I want to ask anyone that's listening to this podcast, that's a big fan of this podcast, if you're hearing this part, let us know. Are you with? Are you like Grant? Do you kind of have that same feeling as well when it comes to watching OU players? Because I'll be honest with you, I do not have that. I've never really thought that. I, in, in my in my opinion, I think a lot of college football fans don't think that. They just think, hey, this is my school, and I root for my my school, my team. Like, whoever's on the team, great. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. And so, those listening to this podcast, are you are you more like Grant? Like. Caleb, like you, you see Caleb Williams or Mario Williams. Do you think, man, hey, they saw what I saw in Oklahoma. That's why I wanted to go there. That's why I like the school. Or are you kind of more like me, where it's like, no, you just you go to the school and then you just happen like you go to the school for the team, and that's kind of it. Because like, we just we differ so much on that. And I'm just curious what the West of Everest listeners think if if they are more aligned with you. Because I could have a, a blind spot with this. I don't know. And so like, my, my thing is like, that's maybe that's why it doesn't bother me as much as maybe it sounds like it bothers you and, as, at an individual level. So I wanted to add that in before you moved on to the next part of speculating down the line. Cool. No, I, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So yeah, please, please do reach out to us. I mean, this is stuff that I want to, you know, and hey, I, I think, I think generally speaking, and this is being way, way too, um, way too simplistic, but in life, there's people who a lot of the times are are governed by their emotions and are pretty emotional people, and I'm definitely more in that camp, and you're kind of more of a cold, calculated guy, and cold is the wrong word there, but you're more of just a logic all the time, don't really care about feelings, don't ever really think about them, um, and I think there's a lot of people out there like that, um, and I think that that gives you some strengths, but it also gives you some blind spots, and I think that's this would be one of them, in my opinion. Um, but to, but but to to continue going to where I was, I just want to, you know, I agree that in 2030, OU is going to be fine. In the long run, they're going to be fine. OU is always going to be OU. Um, the support, the support from the fan base and the boosters is likely always going to be there because it means a lot to the people here and it means a lot to the state. Um, but I'm focused on 2022 because that's the next season. You know, we. We came on this podcast a year ago after they beat Florida, and we just sat there and talked about the 2021 season because that was the most relevant takeaway from that Cotton Bowl. Um, and on the ground right now, with the decision-making process that Kayla Williams is going to is going through, he's putting OU, the program, and all of the other guys and the other human beings in that locker room, he's putting them in a difficult situation, an untenable situation. And that does not sit well with me. It really does not. Um, and so it, just with it being so new and with this really being unprecedented in college football, I'm going to let it play out. All right. My feelings are going to change as it goes through. Uh, but just right now, it's just, I, you know, my number one priority, my agenda always has been. And I, I've been upfront about this from the very beginning. My agenda 100% is whatever is in the best interest for the University of Oklahoma football team as an institution. That's all I care about. All I care about at all. Um, and the way that he's going about this is not good for the football program in the, in, in the short term right now. 
And now, you know, we could we could easily go through, you know, what what's going to happen if he doesn't come back or who's going to leave if he doesn't come back. I think a lot of that stuff is probably getting a, a little too far into the future. Um, let's let it play out. But yeah, man, if Caleb Williams is not the quarterback of this team next year, that injects a ton of uncertainty into next year. And to be totally honest with you, I don't want to go eight and four next year. I, I want them. I want them to win double digit games and win the Big Twelve. And you know, if Caleb Williams comes back, the chances of that happening are way higher. In you know, unless the alternative thing happens. So yeah, like I just I don't I want OU to be good in twenty twenty two, and that's a near certainty if Caleb Williams comes back, and it's really cloudy if he doesn't. And man, we're getting pretty late in the game here. We're getting pretty late in the game. Okay, so uh, th- that's where we just differ. And maybe this is just me because I've, I've totally bought in to Brent Venables. If Caleb Williams does not come back next year, I'm, I'm still confident Oklahoma's going to be a good team. I, I buy so much into the culture change. And uh, again, culture changes is- take a while. They take a while. It's not, it's not going to be a one-year thing. This is like... I. Okay, him coming but, back like, is really important for stability and remember, continuity. Remember, Oklahoma is going to be in the Big Twelve again. Oklahoma is still in the Big Twelve next year. Didn't you make a comment about their schedule a couple weeks ago? About that schedule is looking pretty easy again. They're not playing the SEC yet, so that I'm just not. Yes, do I want Caleb Williams back? Of course I do. I think the difference in Caleb Williams being back it's it's not likely, but I mean it's possible. Like they could be a national title contender as early as next year. But without them, they're not going to be a national title contender. But they most certainly could still find a way to win the Big 12. Absolutely. They're going to find somebody to play quarterback. Jeff Lebby has had this is where really I, good so this is where in I, a row. I, I have. And so you, you texted this to me. This concept of them, they'll find someone. I hate this line of argument. Hate it. You don't know. You don't yeah, know I do. anything. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. If Oklahoma is all of a sudden open with a their quarterback spot, yeah, they'll find somebody just fine. Not when not not in January when everyone has already decided. We're they're not that decided, far removed. I think. I think We're not that far removed from the only something. two quarterbacks on the roster being Trevor Knight and Cody Thomas. Like you, I mean, you think that they can't get into an area where they're not good at the quarterback position? You're fooling yourself. I'm not. No, no. I'm just saying that there there'll still be options unless somebody has signed like a financial aid agreement for. Oh, sure. there's going to be a ton of options. It's just Oklahoma, like to be where they want to be, they need an elite guy. They they can't like they can't have just just a guy back there to win a national championship to win a Big Twelve. No, they don't. They don't need an elite guy. Once you get to the once you get to the SEC, then you need that. But to win, a, to win a conference championship, they don't need a, an elite guy. Granted, to your point a moment ago, you said about culture takes time. Yes, and defense also takes time if you look back at, at Clemson with Venables. They weren't, they weren't Clemson defense until about year three, maybe even year two. I th- the first year he was there as a co-DC, and they weren't all that great. And I want to say the next season was his, his year as a full-time DC, and they, they definitely improved. And by year three, I want to say, kind of Clemson's defense started to really click. Uh, so, I mean, that would be the biggest concern, really, in my mind, is like, can't like, how fast can the defense get to the point where they can really play good defense? I don't know. You know, it, it, it's a lot of faith I'm putting into Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. I get that, but again, I, I've bought more into this, I think, than you have in the last month, month and a half. I really just think that 
the the culture and the identity of the program under Lincoln Riley was was kind of rotten, and that might be a strong a strong way to put it, but I think it's it's true. I, I it just it wasn't going anywhere, or they, they were they were a double digit win team, but that was kind of the ceiling, man. And it just they underachieved woefully this year, and they still won eleven games. I don't like that, man. And so yeah, you're right. I'm buying a lot into Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. I could be wrong, but that's what gives me, uh, I guess, calmness when it comes to this thought. And it doesn't really bother me all that much. Because, yeah, like, I, I think at this point, they're probably not going to the SEC next year. I mean, I don't know if things can change at this point. So maybe if they're there the, next, the year after that, you know, a year for Brent Venables to get his feet wet in the Big 12 again. If Caleb Williams is not there, who's the quarterback? We don't know yet. Uh, you know, heck, maybe it, maybe Nick Evers wins the job. I mean, they got a true freshman this year, and it's like, oh man. But hey, by by his second year in the SEC, he's better. I don't know. So that's just why it just it does not bother me as much at this time. And you know, once Caleb Williams makes that decision and the dust settles, and other players, you know, if if he leaves and other players decide to leave, then we can talk more and more about it. But uh, this is another situation where you and I are just in disagreement. And uh, there's only one way to find out who is more right and who is more wrong. Because I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong thing. It's just what is. And we'll have to wait. Time will tell. I just think um, I think you and people who are, who are thinking like you, and you're, you're not alone on this. I mean, there's a lot of people who have come out and said, ah, we, we can't control this. Don't worry about it. Um, I think people who have that opinion could, should, should pretty much sit this conversation out. Because it doesn't add anything to the conversation and it's not useful. Um, but I, man, I don't know. I I think you're really underrating how much they actually are going to be rebuilding on offense. If Caleb Williams doesn't come back, they're pretty much going to be starting from scratch. Uh, no, no, they're not, not from scratch. They're, and here's the thing. If a bunch of offensive linemen leave, that would bother me. But if they're going to lose what? like I mean, Caleb Williams and like as and of like, now, as of now, they're going to be they're bringing back Anton Harrison and Andrew Rame. That's all. That's all we know. Okay, yeah, I guess I don't even know who who's uh, potentially could come back. From Kennedy, Brooks huh? Kennedy Brooks is gone. Kennedy Brooks is gone. Eric Gray right now is the lead back. We don't even know if he's going to be here next year. Like we, every fans of this podcast know our feelings on Marcus Major. What, are we we are we, are we gonna like going into twenty two like with inexperienced offensive line, um, Eric Gray and Marcus Major and two true freshmen at running back, um, no idea who the quarterback is gonna be. Micah Bowens being the only scholarship guy on campus, have no idea how the um, how the wide receiver room is gonna shake out if he leaves. Marvin Mims had a really odd comment in the um, in the lead up to the Alamo Bowl. When somebody asked him if he was going to be at OU next year, he said he'd really like to be. Instead of just saying, yeah, I'm going to be. I don't know how you read that other than he's waiting for Caleb Williams to make his decision. Um, Jalil Farouk, you've already said, him and Caleb Williams are really good friends. Jalil Farouk's not going to be here if Caleb Williams leaves. Uh, who knows about Mario Williams if other if, if stuff like that shakes down? Yeah, I just... I, You know what? It, it, it clearly comes down to... I. Everybody that wants to go that's kind of connected with Lincoln Riley and like once doesn't want to be here, go. Like it, it it's gonna the, the program will be better for it. That's where I'm at. Like it, it doesn't really bother me. They're gonna figure it out. And but nothing and, really bothers you though. <laughs> 
Like you, you stay even keeled with everything. Well, here's the thing: we if we get to 2022 and that's the way it plays out, and Oklahoma's like six and six. Okay, well, yeah, that 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 then I'll be bothered. At this point, though, there's no reason to think like, man, what like because then why are I we just, even talking about this then? Well, you went on all the details on it. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's just like your your perspective. You can't really go anywhere with that. I mean, it's that's it. It's like it's it's okay. Like I mean, it's like you you just want to be like, eh, we'll see how it plays out. That's very uninteresting. This is a podcast. You're not adding anything to the conversation. Okay, here's what I'll add then. Uh, the offensive line stuff is the most important thing. I I I guess I didn't do the research. I mean, is like Tyrese Robinson. Uh, Marquis says, "Are they gonna? Are they gone? Because I, I think they have eligibility left. They want to come back, but if, if, if I don't know if we know for sure. I know Marquis Hayes accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, so I think okay, we can so kind of assume he's that he's gone. I think the offensive line is the most important thing. Skill position guys are replaceable. Lincoln Riley has underutilized a lot of them in his time here. Maybe Jeff Lebby also under underutilizes guys. Maybe Ole Miss fans could tell us that, oh, there's a bunch of talent that he's under. And so maybe I'm totally off base. So it goes back to the unknown. I, I just, skill guys are replaceable. They, they can bring different people in. It's fine. Like Quarterback is not replaceable, okay? That's the most important thing. That makes it tougher. Uh, I'm, I'm not, just saying, like, it's, who like, you talk, because you go in and you just say, well, they'll find someone if, if Caleb Williams leaves. Whoever they find is going to be a massive downgrade from Caleb Williams. Massive. Guys, Dylan Gabriel, massive downgrade from Caleb Williams. Like, I, and I don't even know if he can even come to OU. He's already committed to UCLA. Uh, like, still, I mean, it's going to be, th- th- like, it's pro- like, if Caleb Williams leaves, it's probably going to be Nick Evers or Casey Thompson. I, I've heard that there's still an outside chance if that decision happens that, Gabriel still could leave UCLA. I don't. I don't know if he's fully like locked in there yet. Just have heard that. Uh, but here's the thing: if that's true about Dylan Gabriel, how many other players have like committed but are not technically fully locked in at quarterback that Oklahoma, if that job, if that job is open, that Oklahoma could go after? I don't know. Dylan Gabriel is was considered by far the number one transfer quarterback option. Outside of Spencer Rattler. Well, no, he was considered that because of his time with Jeff Lebby. Jeff Lebby wants him or wanted him if it wasn't. So, I mean, other than that, the only other guy who is even notable in the transfer portal is Cameron Ward, the guy from Incarnate Word. Yeah, I've heard he's pretty good. Don't know anything about him. I, actually, I and this is I mean, we can get into this later. If this, I, I, I would prefer him over Dylan Gabriel by like 10 out of 10 times. It's because Dylan Gabriel's a left handed passer. You you. Oh, man. Because he's a lefty, huh? He's a southpaw. That's because no, it's that's because weak, he's man. small and not very accurate. Uh, yeah. I just uh, it just doesn't. We have to just wait and see. It's just I. And you know, maybe a big part of this is the fact that for a handful of years I was kind of unplugged with OU football, and in those handful of years they had some pretty poor quarterback play, and you were watching. So all I know coming back is Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams. So I have not, I did not really pay attention as, as closely as I do now with the Trevor Knights and the Blake Bells and who else was there. I mean, I, I watched Landry Jones, and that was I'm just saying, like as up and down as possible. Their defense, their defense is very likely still going to be not very good next year. Just, it's just probably not going to be very good. Like it'll, it'll be, I think it'll be better. 
but it's not going to be it's not going to be good enough to that to carry them. I just I just don't think and like yeah, you're right. The last time that we saw bad quarterback play at OU, they went 8 and 5. Uh okay. Let's go to three word reviews. See what you guys have. Jed Castles from News 9 says DL play excellent. Uh shouts out Marcus Stripling. Jordan Kelly. I remember him making a play or two in that one as well. Uh, Matt Mahler from, uh, well, formerly of News 9, my former coworker, says, Big Game Bob. Uh, Josh Adams, longtime listener, says, DBBV Focus. <laughs> I like that. Also says, Caleb Ken Ball. Kennedy Brooks, bang. Uh, Derek says, A Fitting Farewell. By the way, this is on Twitter, at uh, Lee Benson News 9. That's a good one from Derek. Uh, Brian says future is bright. How many of these guys are going to stick around if, if Caleb Williams leaves though? Cause Brian, you mentioned Jaleel Farouk, Mario Williams, Danny Stutz, all the defensive guys are probably good. Uh, stripling, even though stripling's not really, I mean, he's been there for a while. Um, let's see. Matt says still no commitment question mark. Obviously referencing Caleb Williams. Matt says, I love Caleb Williams and hope very badly that he stays. That being said, I'm very confused as to what more he needs to see from the program at this point to make a commitment to it. That's why it's stand, that's right? why it's scary. It's the entire state of Oklahoma is opening their arms and saying, "Hi, we want you to be like our guy." And he can't commit to that. And I think that's a big like It's like, "All right, man. Yeah. Whatever, I guess." Yeah, so if he leaves, he leaves. You don't, you don't need a guy with one foot out the door in the program. Sure, you're right. If, if he doesn't want to be here, you're right. If he does not want to be here, I don't want him here. Which is why he shouldn't have played in the bowl game. See, but I get it, though. I mean, he, it was a commitment to his guys, and he wanted to send the guys that are leaving out on a high note, and I, I kind of understand that. Because put yourself... I guess, like, yeah, it's... If, yeah. I, I, I'm still living under the, I guess, the old, the old stuff where it's like, hey, man, you... You commit to a university, you're there for three to five years. That's what you're doing. I, I don't, like, thank you for the freshman season, I guess, but if you're just going to say peace out after the freshman year, you didn't commit to OU. Like, I, you're not, like, he can go around and say how much he loves OU fans or whatever, and I'm sure that's genuine. But, like, sorry, dude, that's a lot like, that's a lot like being broken up with and then the girl saying, oh, but you're such a great guy and you're wonderful and you're going to be so great in life, but... It just doesn't work out. And, and like, if that's the case, fine. But get the hell out of here. But Grant, what are I you mean, waiting for? He didn't, like, yeah, he went to Oklahoma. But it's because Lincoln Riley is there. All of these players that commit to OU have committed there because of Lincoln Riley and, like, the assistant coaches. And they just happen to be at Oklahoma. And that's why people go to Alabama. That's why people go to, uh, you know, anywhere. It's because of the coaches that are there. And, like, the assistant coaches. It's not necessarily the school. And that's like the thing that I've like everyone kind of gets that. I, at least I thought I, you're not. No, 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 no. I totally disagree with you. I think maybe this is the case at Alabama at Ohio State, maybe at Oklahoma, too. Do you think that's the case at um, Missouri? Do you think that's the case at uh, Indiana? What about Minnesota? Do you think that's the case or like what? Like, do you think that's the case for a vast majority of college programs? No, I think I think college football players choose to go to. I mean, sure, like a hometown kid or something that's grown up in Minneapolis, like always wanted to go to the Gophers. Yeah, there's always going to be that. OU, Auburn, like 
But I would say a lot of college football players, high school recruits, they choose to go to whatever school is like the best like college football team they could they can get an offer from. Like people that go to Missouri, a lot of them are probably like Missouri was the best team that offered them. Maybe they had offers from the MAC as well. Maybe they had offers from the Sun Belt. But Missouri was like the one D one school that offered them. I want to go to Missouri. That's why, because they were the, happy to be the one school. Uh, like think back to, uh, I mean, there was like one school. Uh, when I was playing high school baseball, there was one school that invited me to come for like an unofficial visit, Iowa. I knew nothing about Iowa baseball, but like if I would have gotten a scholarship offer from Iowa to go play baseball there, I would have gone there because nobody else. Yeah, you would have gone there if you stayed. What if? Okay, if you played there as a true freshman, you had like a great year. Let's say you're the Big Ten Player of the Year, and everyone on campus loves you, and your teammates love you, and your experience there is great. Do you think maybe after a year you would feel a little bit of loyalty to the University of Iowa? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's apples to oranges. And the fact that that is not the case here is, to a lot of people, off-putting. Well, it's, it's apples to oranges, though, because Oklahoma wasn't the only school that wanted Caleb Williams. Everybody wanted him. So, like, the difference would be, like, Iowa was the one school that was like, hey, man, we believe in you. Come here and play here. Like, if it wasn't for Iowa... I'd have never had that opportunity. Caleb Williams could have gone wherever he wanted. And he still can go wherever he wants. That that's a difference in being me or like some like kind of low level player and one of the best players in the nation. I mean, that's not really my point. My point is you would hope that he like he was extremely embraced by the state, by the fan base. Like people wanted him to play before he was even playing. Like, I mean, he's a rock star here. And like he doesn't, that hasn't swayed his decision-making at all. On a human level, that's really hard for me to understand. And that's fine. I, I mean, we, we have no idea what it's like to be in his shoes. I, my theory on it is just when you're a player, a, a person like him who has always been really good at something and you're highly sought after, you just don't think the same way that people like us think. Like, because it's always going to be that way. You're always going to be highly sought after, and you're always going to have the world in your hands. So even though you get all of this positivity, well, of course you are, because that was expected. He was expecting that. That, that would have happened at, whether at Oklahoma or whether at Alabama or whether at Auburn or Texas. So it just it kind of comes with the territory. He's used to it. He's used to the adoration. And... No matter where he goes, if he continues to play that way, it'll happen again at his next school if he chooses to leave. So that's my theory as to why it's just it's not as like it's not a you know cut and dry deal with somebody like that. That again, that's just me putting myself in his shoes and thinking about what it'd be like to be like a wonderkin type player uh, and as good as he is. Just yeah, it's not. Uh yeah, it's that's just it's just not my vibe. It's not at all how I would how I would carry myself, how I would handle it. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe it's just, it's such a foreign concept to me uh, that he, that he would kind of have all of this stuff happen. And like, I mean, it's, it's happenstance that he got in that Spencer Rattler sucked this year and that he was able to come in and like, and how, how just how much he was embraced. And I, I just, I truthfully do not understand. I do not understand cold calculation like that. I mean, that's fine. I do. <laughs> I think it's pretty pretty easy. And hey, and just... that's fine. But like and that's 
the the risk that you that you take on when you're a person like this is that to a lot of people you're going to come off as a jerk, as a cold person. And that's yeah. like and there's a lot of people who are okay with that trade-off. Um and I am not. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, I I suppose it's just that's just kind of the way of the world and I get it. I understand. And if this I'm isn't ever, the way of the world, though. This has still never happened in the history of college football. This has never happened. Just because something has never happened doesn't mean it's not the way of the world, though. It doesn't mean that it's not reality. And I guess that's kind of what I mean. It's, I, no, I mean, it's reality. It's clearly happening, but it's never happened before. Not in this context. All right. More three-word reviews from Twitter. Derek says, your visor awaits. Also, you're now crowned. Very good. Also, Michael says, passing the visor. So uh, a cool moment, a cool moment on stage whenever they, uh, Bob said, hey, where's Coach Venables? And then he, he took the visor off, gave it to him. That was uh, – did, were you watching? Did you see that live? I, I must have had to be there. I thought that was really cheesy, and I kind of cringed. I didn't like it. Oh, it was actually – yeah. It, being there, that was kind of cool. I liked – I was there. I was right below the stage where it was happening. And uh, when it happened, I was like, oh, I'm, thank God I'm, I'm filming this because this is a cool moment. So I liked it. Uh, I don't. Um, I'm not a huge fan of of live forced symbolism, like during everyday life. I keep the symbolism to the art and movies and books and all that. I don't. That stuff's not for me. But hey, uh, there's a lot of people who liked it, and I guess you know, good for them. In this particular situation, man, I thought it, it just it it was very much on brand for what Bob Stoops has been for the last month. I mean, he. He has embraced this role, but he's said over and over again to the players and to everybody that this program is bigger than just one person, and he is, he's walking the walk. Like That was his way of saying, hey, yeah, like, great win. I'm happy we're here, but guess what? This is not about me, guys. This is about the next guy that's coming in. This is about Brent Venables, and this is me saying, hey, like, and it, you know, yeah, sure, it was symbolism, whatever. Maybe you thought it was cheesy. I thought it was cool because, again, it was just very on brand and very consistent with what he's been doing that this is not about me. This is about Oklahoma and the next guy leading Oklahoma is this dude right here. So let's let's pass the torch on after this nice win and move into 2022 and beyond. So I like that. Let's see more from Twitter. Uh, Derek, another one says BV era begins. A lot more of you guys with more of the visor three word reviews. I like that. How about this? Matt says late kickoffs suck. Uh, man, that was a late one. Uh, glad we don't have to worry about 8.15s normally. I had to watch the freaking Gophers kick off at 9.20 the night before. Oh, yeah. That's. Matt I mean, Hulse. this is why... To anyone out there who lives on the East Coast, man, God bless you. I mean, like, that's... I've actually said numerous times, that is the explicit reason I could never live on the East Coast. Yeah, that would be bad. Everything, the, everything the starts after 9 o'clock. No one ever gets any sleep out there. Uh, Marty says, revenge game Bob. And I don't know how we made it through this entire podcast without really even referencing the, the 2006 Oregon game. There was an onside kick in this game, Grant. <laughs> there was an onside kick. Oklahoma recovered it clearly. Jeremiah Hall recovered it clearly. And by the way, it was fitting that Jeremiah Hall recovered that onside kick because a couple of days earlier at the big like river rally thing or whatever, Jeremiah Hall made a joke saying that they were going to start the game off with an onside kick. So it showed to me that Jeremiah Hall knows his history. They clearly had talked about it. They were downplaying the whole onside kick angle before the game, but all the guys knew about it. 
Granted, they're all college kids, so they were still they were like babies when it happened. Nice to see, though, that they actually referenced it. And that's kind of funny that Jeremiah Hall recovered that onside kick. So, uh, hey, he got uh, he got revenge on Oregon. But I guess, though, that one win, Grant, doesn't get Bob Stoops' career winning percentage over 80%. It's at 799. <laughs> Ugh. He's got to come back and coach one more game, man. Maybe, uh, like, do they have an FCS opponent next year? Maybe Brent can go ahead and let Bob coach that one game against the FCS team. And They don't, ac- they don't actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. They yeah, they, that's, that's too bad. That's too bad. Uh, okay, so last one on Twitter. Matt, I don't, I mean, I love this three-word review. I don't get it, though. Taco Bell delivers. Who's Taco I don't know. I don't get that. But I love Taco Bell. It's one of my favorite places in the it world. Makes, it makes me wonder. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Was there like a was that like was that was there like a Taco Bell commercial that was played over and over again? I guess I don't know. So but if you're listening, hey, help like, us out with that one. Yeah. But yeah, Taco Bell is an American treasure. It's <laughs> unquestionably the best fast food restaurant probably in the world. Um not sure why you got qualified as fast food restaurant, just best restaurant ever in the world period it's a kind of uh, cuisine you get on west of everest let's go over to the west of everest facebook page and let's go uh, on the same theme as the organ brady our friend brady trantham says vengeance is delicious referencing the organ game william says bob is amazing tracy hope caleb stays uh barry says that was fun uh more from tracy says please fix defense more Caleb stuff from Warren says, please stay, Caleb. Travis on the Caleb Williams uh, train as well says, does Caleb leave? Uh, Mark says, pass the visor. Uh, James says, good game, Caleb. And then he adds, though, make a decision. <laughs> uh, NIL ruins CF. NIL ruins college football. Uh, and James also says, get Evers ready. Uh, I don't agree that NIL ruins college football. I think it's way too early to tell on that. I think people are still kind of uh, right. Over. Say right now, the biggest the biggest issue is the is the no penalty for transferring. That's the biggest issue. Right, and that's. But then again, though, I think did the no penalty for transfer is that is that anybody can transfer now, or is that just if your coach you get, you get one free transfer? And so, okay. I think it's like one of those things. Like you got to the free transfer NIL. Pick one can't have them both yeah like you can't have you can't have them both in a healthy college football landscape you know what i could i could get behind that i, I could get behind that yeah uh but but at the same time though i'm, I'm not super strong about I, I think everything's fine i don't i mean again i'm not as connected to it like i just i like college football because i like football and if guys want like, i like the fact that guys can move i mean i'm more for like transfer portal for guys that like think they can start and play and play more snaps somewhere else, as opposed to like Caleb Williams, who's going to be starting at Oklahoma if he comes back. But like, eh, I don't know. But at the same time, though, I his really coach like, left. and I do, I I do like the transfer portal for guys that can't get on the field and they go somewhere else and they're given an opportunity. I like that. I think that's a good like. But there's also other trade offs. Like I I do genuinely believe we are going to start seeing a bunch of group of five players who are great, who are good, start to leave their teams to go to to power five teams. I think that is going to happen. Clearly, that's going to happen. Um, and well, what I about just, NIL? 
NIL though can can uh, you know help those guys out though? Stay keep them around at the no. Google five schools. No, no. What is it the guy the guy who the guy from Tulsa who just entered the transfer portal? What NIL deals at Tulsa is that guy going to get? I mean, he's not a. I, I guess he's be, he's become a really good player over time. I'm not sure if he was like a super highly sought after recruit, um, but okay, yeah, sure. Like that's the Tulsa fan base isn't quite going to be the same as a. Uh, heck, I don't know. I mean, there's other group of five. It was an example. That, it, was, it was just an example. Like I, I you know, it's. No, no. I don't like it. It 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 throws off the competitive balance big time. And hey, we we are going to get to the point where after a couple of years of this influential people in college football are going to be like, yeah, we need to regulate this a little more. All right. I have one more three word review from the West of Evers Facebook page that I think is going to be a, a good one for us to go out on. It comes from Michael. Michael says weird effing season. <laughs> Boy, um, it'd be hilarious to go back and listen to our big season preview podcast. How, excited we were what we hoping the season can turn out to be <laughs> and like so many things that were totally unpredictable happened uh by the way i think that i always like to try to go back and listen to that again and, and see what we said to to go over our picks and pre uh, predictions because that can give us some podcast content in the super super long off season but uh man yeah uh you're right with that one michael weird blanking season basically Oklahoma finishes 11-2 and two with a bowl win, but the future is still uncertain as we wait for Caleb Williams to make his decision. Grant? I'm sorry. Say, oh, um, yeah, I, you know, I maybe have to think on it a little more, but I, I think there is, there is, there's very, very possible that this is my least favorite OU team of all time. Uh, just in terms of, I, it wasn't always clear that they were playing super hard. They rarely seemed really, really prepared for the other team and what they wanted to do. Um, of course, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley can just screw that guy. I, I mean that that's always going to um, that's always going to shade this season uh, in a bad way. I just yeah, I, I really this was definitely the most disappointing OU season of all time uh, since I become a fan. Just. I don't know. I'm it, it. It makes me. It makes me grateful that they were able to at least end it on a good note, and on a and on a season that I really didn't enjoy. It, it was a. It, it just. It wasn't a good season. Uh, they still won eleven games, um, and we got to watch Bob Stoops coach one last time, um, and they thankfully were able to win relatively comfortably in that in that bowl game against another team that won ten games. Um, and I do think they're you know. There should be for, there there should be some room for people to kind of step back and say, hey, you know, it's it wasn't a good season, but it actually was a good season on paper, and I think we probably should be grateful for that, um, just as as fans of the program. All right, so our next podcast, I think, let's see, what's today, Friday. I don't know if we're going to do one next week. Basically, we got to kind of wait and see what's going to happen with Caleb Williams. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we do one next week if, we, if something comes up or we have something we want to talk about. Um, but I can't think of any reason to have one next week unless we have some Caleb Williams news. I don't think people care what we have to say about maybe like a college football playoff thing. Because like I, honestly, I don't really have 
I mean, I'm watching, like, by the way, we're watching the Bama-Cincinnati game as we speak, as we're recording. The first quarter just ended. Bama's up 7-3, to three, uh, and they're uh, close to the close to the Cincinnati end zone. But uh, I don't know if anybody really cares what our thoughts are on that, and I don't know if I care to even have super deep thoughts on it anyways. What are your thoughts? Do you have any, like, aside from possible Caleb Williams news coming out, do you think we have any reason to do a podcast next week? Uh, no, probably not. Um, I think the winner of Georgia-Michigan is going to win the title. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I don't know. Have there been any, there been any bowl games that, that have interested you i know every like social media was freaking out about the the tennessee and purdue game last night which admittedly was entertaining but i mean it was really bad football i mean it was it was two just it was two really bad defenses who i also think were decimated with injuries and other covid stuff just playing really incompetent terrible defense I know I you know especially because I you know for four days I was in San Antonio and just working the entire time I haven't really sat down and watched any any of the bowl games uh, except for like kind of the early December ones that again you know with all the group of five schools and I hated those because I didn't get any picks right so all my bowl picks have been terrible so that probably goes well for uh, you know Cincinnati today because I've been terrible in bowl picks so no there hasn't been any games that I've really watched that I've cared about except for OU and you know, obviously I watched that one and uh yeah don't have any like i guess the one part of bowl season that i do find kind of interesting is i think i've seen the stat the sec is one in five now i think in bowl games so i love to see that i love to see the sec lose that's great and the big 12 i think is two and two in bowl games so other than that though i I don't have any thoughts on it really but a lot of that has to do with during this time of year i'm always working i can't really enjoy bowl season as much as i would like if i didn't work in the media uh, i mean i always kind of long for a day and i don't know if this is ever going to happen because i'd have to <laughs> change careers or something long for the opportunity to be in a situation where i could be privileged or lucky enough to where i could take the final couple of weeks of december off and sit down and kind of you know be with family and have a lot of free time and, and watch a lot of these bowl games and take it all in because there's nothing else on tv uh, but I don't get the really chance to do that because I'm always kind of working and, and going through all of that this time of year. So, uh, no, I, I can't. That's all I have on bowl stuff at this point. Um, I mean, I'll be watching the Oklahoma State game because it's part of my job, too. I'm kind of curious to see how they play against Notre Dame. That's kind of an interesting matchup. But maybe just because I'm in Oklahoma and I've been following Oklahoma State all season long. And I really don't know how that one's going to play out. But other than that, no, nope, that's all I have. The... Um the mayo bath on Shane Beamer was an abomination. And um, I like, and I get it's like, it's, it's totally okay to have fun with it. That's, that's fine. Like, that's not what I'm, I'm just saying visually looking at it, it was an abomination. It made me kind of, it kind of made me want to retch. And, okay. <laughs> and I just, I just want to say, hey, Twitter and social media is not real life. So this is probably not actually what happened to everyone who was watching that game, which I think there were, over two and a half million people who watched the game, which is great. Um, the, st- the stupid mayonnaise and the mayonnaise bath overshadowed a really good performance from South Carolina. No one talked about South Carolina. No one was talking about like them uh, being picked to finish last in the SEC or second to last in the SEC and still winning six games and having some really good wins this year. No, nah, they just wanted to talk about some dude getting doused in mayonnaise, which is the worst condiment ever in the history of the world. 
and is disgusting. And it just it its consistency is disgusting. That just the visuals of Shane Beamer being doused with it were so gross, so insanely disgusting. Um, and I just think that's really unfortunate. And that and I will step <laughs> off of my soapbox. How slow the mayonnaise came out of the Gatorade bottle or tub or whatever. It's and I mean I think Shane Beamer has a concussion. They hit him in the back of the head. They even yeah they freaking they got him in the back of the head like the worst place that you can get hit. But I find that you have a strong take on this to be very weird. I like if that never happened, I don't think anybody's talking about South Carolina anyways. Like nobody cares about that bowl game. No one's talking about South Carolina winning the game. I mean that's that's, that's why people talk about it. That's what I'm lamenting. Oh. Is that it's is that you're not talking about the team that finished their season in like a really good way, like where because that game was fun. South Carolina was fun to watch in that game. I watched every snap of that game and it was a, an entertaining watch because their team was playing with a lot of energy and a lot of joy. Um, and then all of the people who run the conversation in college football, the only thing they wanted to talk about was freaking mayonnaise. All right, I mean. That more power to you. You watched it. You have some inside info. Now you can you can really go hard in on a basically South what I'm saying is total next how year. on earth how on earth is that so intriguing or entertaining to people? How in what world? Well, the fact that you're giving it so much time here makes me kind of think that you were intrigued by it as well. <laughs> no, I didn't I'm, even really I'm, see much about it. Well, I mean, again, yeah, you, like I was busy. You're I was working flying too hard. Yesterday. You're working too hard. You weren't going to see anything about it. I mean, I yeah, I, I was flying yesterday. I, I got home and, I yeah, um, I watched mayonnaise uh, is gross. End podcast. Yeah. <laughs> mayonnaise is really gross. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. All right, we'll let you all know on the West of Everest Facebook page our next episode, whenever that may be. We thank you for the support all season long. Oklahoma ends the year eleven and two. I uh, hope everyone had a great Christmas. Have a Happy New Year, and man, by the time we're back on this podcast, Grant, it'll be 2022, but okay. All right, that's all we have here. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.